0: This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Coming up, Subversity with Dan Zang. Today we're going to have an update on the Yemen situation and then uh, follow that with a historical look at the Middle East and U.S.-Arab uh, relations, putting the Egyptian revolt in context. Uh, but first we have this update on what's happening in Yemen with uh, Dana Moss, who was with us here last week. Thanks, Dana, for coming in on short notice.
1: Thank you very much for having me again. I'm thrilled to be back.
0: So what's happening in Yemen?
1: Well, the last time we were here, we talked about protests that have uh, begun to occur in the capital in the south and elsewhere, tried to give some context about where it was happening and why. Um, Since I was here last week, uh, protests really began uh, again on Friday. Um, But really, they were more like political rallies than the protests that we saw uh, occurring in Egypt and Cairo, Uh, and they were mostly led by the Joint Meetings Party, which is the coalition of opposition parties. And um, things really took a turn for the worse on Friday night when uh, pro-government and uh, security forces began to crack down on the protesters to beat them with um, sticks and use batons and other kinds of weapons, knives, we uh, saw reported. Um, And since then, protests have continued, and they've been rowdier. Uh, The JMP, the Joint Meetings Party, the opposition parties, haven't really been the driving force since. So for the last three to four days, we've seen um, protests become rowdier, become more uh, focused on um, uh, the regime as the enemy, uh, rather than talking about negotiating or trying to reinstate concessions that were previously promised from the president.
0: So are women and um, university students prominent in the latest round of people protesting.
1: Yes, absolutely. They've been prominent not only in the capital, but in Taiz, which is uh, the southern city where the majority of the protests have taken place, and also in the south and in, in places like Aden. Um, and most recently, there have been a, a lot of news reports about the harsh way that the security forces have been cracking down on on both women and men. In fact, one of the leaders of the protests in Sana'a's name is Tawakal Karman. She's a, a, a Islam party um, member and an activist and a mother of three. Recently, they locked her up uh, and Protests began in uh to try and get her out of jail but while she was in jail she started to take the opportunity to uh teach the prisoners about their rights and oh, to yeah, clean the jail i think they gave she gave money to the guards to buy bleach and she began to clean the jail and they just thought apparently she was such a pain in the neck that they'd better release her but she's been at the forefront of these protests which is which is quite amazing
0: so she got released
1: yes yeah, she did get released and she's been on the streets but she's had a uh, increasing uh we, repressive steps taken against her, threats against her life, and physical attacks as well. Though normally uh, the protests, protesters around her have thus far succeeded in protecting her. Um,
0: last week, when you were on, UN uh, and uh, Will Picard were on mm-hmm. uh, from the Yemen Peace Project. Uh, w- 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 I think we didn't say that the regime, uh, the protests were specifically against overthrowing the uh, the president. The at, That's at that right. That time, huh?
1: There were a bunch of mi- mixed messages. So the protests that began in early February uh, were a mix of calling for uh, reforms, calling mm. for the ousting of the president. Oh, some and were it, calling
0: for that, too. Yeah. Okay. And in
1: the, as far as I know, and in the South, uh, people have been calling for independence. Oh, now, yeah. since the crackdowns began and have continued, and they apparently are getting much worse with the use of tasers against mm. um, students and others... Uh, the message has become one more of uh, President Saleh get out and, uh, you know, this is the people's revolution. We're going to do what the Egyptians did in Taiz, which is where the epicenter of the protests actually are, not the capital of Sana'a, which is interesting because the, report, the few reporters that are in the country right now only really have access to report on what's happening in Sana'a, where there are more pro-government protests happening oh, than in elsewhere. Unfortunately, because you need a travel permit to go anywhere in Yemen, uh, the regime has basically made any other city of kind of a journalistic blackout region. So international um, journalists are not able to go to Taiz and Aden to report on what's happening, or at least they're not supposed to.
0: Could you go there when you were there?
1: When we were there in 2009, we were able to go to Aden. Uh, we were able to go to Taz and some other places. But since then, um, it's been increasingly risky to do so. So mm-hmm. when we were there last year, we didn't try to oh. go to Aden because the permit process was more difficult, and they were um, uh, very repressively um, hunting down uh anti government protesters and pro independence protesters. So it was a very dicey situation. So we we didn't try to go left.
0: How about the protests right outside the university uh in Sinai? Those Uh,
1: seem those seem at the at the moment to be very um anti regime. They they mm. appear to have a more unified voice. Though I should say that um as I think I mentioned last time that a lot of the uh student run opposition groups um are are, well, there are two things. One is that increasingly they're anti-opposition parties and anti-regime. So they're just uh-huh. pretty much sick of all the the same faces that they've been seeing who, that they consider to be ineffective and corrupt and repressive. Um, and in addition, uh, some of them are have, have different opinions about what the protesters should be doing, what they should be asking for. One of our colleagues who's a a Yemen Peace Project volunteer in Sana'a has told us that he doesn't think protests are the way to go. So you do have a lot of students Mm. involved, um, but they're not necessarily uh, a completely unified voice.
0: Are they arresting the students also?
1: Yes. So there have been mass arrests Mm. in Sana'a, in Taiz, and in Aden, and in the places where journalists are less likely to be, they've been more, it seems, repressive against uh, peaceful demonstrators on Streets, which is a very disturbing trend.
0: It seems, in contrast to the uh, coverage in Egypt, where you know CNN and other news agencies, ABC and the foreign news agencies, uh, Al Jazeera also uh, stationed uh, TV cameras for live coverage. Mm -hmm. Is that happening in Yemen?
1: That's a great question. So Al Jazeera just started to report live from Yemen, hmm. I believe, earlier today or yesterday. Um, we were very concerned when the crackdowns happened on Friday night that the only – we were actually sitting at home watching a movie, and we got this um, this message uh, through our email that Human Rights Watch had put out a report saying that these crackdowns had happened, and nobody was reporting on it. And oh, wow. we at the Yemen Peace Project were very concerned that this lack of international press about these issues was really going to do st- – actual physical harm to the yemeni people because there would be no sort of um counterweight to yeah. what was happening but luckily things have started to pick up a bit i haven't been as pleased with the al jazeera coverage um in yemen that i was uh with the egyptian case but to be fair to them their offices were forcibly closed by the yemeni regime in yemen not Too long ago. Um, So they have difficulty getting permits to come into the country to do their jobs. And similarly, because of the Hmm. travel restrictions around the country, unfortunately. Um, the epicenter of the protests in ties are just not going to get the same coverage, um, except for the, by the Yemeni journalists who really risk life and limb to do so. And they may be successful in reporting in the Yemen Times and the Yemen Observer, but unfortunately most right. of those stories don't make it to the mainstream Western press.
0: How about the YouTube uh, phenomena? Are people posting videos up there?
1: Yes, we've seen uh, lots of videos uh, coming out of Yemen, taken by people from their, from their cell phones and the like. Mm. Thus far, they've been circulated. Somewhat on Al Jazeera and CNN and other places, um, mostly, uh, or not mostly, but primarily um, from what I've seen on Facebook pages uh, oh, yeah. started by Yemeni protesters, which is interesting.
0: Are those uh, Facebook pages started by people over there or over here?
1: It seems that they're started from people in Yemen, um, and mm. they tend to be in Arabic, mm. so uh, I'm, my Arabic isn't that good, but I can I know enough yeah. to, to try to track them down, um, and then people Post can post their own videos there did that they way.
0: call the, it, similar to the it, was it similar to the Egyptian situa- situation where that uh, google exec uh, Google manager or whatever mm-hmm. uh, for the region he um he asked people to show up on the twenty fifth or whatever for a protest it was were there calls for that on facebook too
1: yeah there ha- there have been a lot of calls, yeah. so there's the most recent call I believe is for the twenty fifth of February for there to be mass protests mm. actually very interestingly. Uh, you know that in the Egyptian case, we saw it sort of in the last days of the mass protest that a lot of uh, union strikes were happening. Yeah. It seemed that the sort of institutionalized groups uh, joined the protests uh, in, in doing what they do, which is striking and, and protesting. But um, in even, Yemen...
0: Even it, the police were doing
1: it. <laughs> yeah, now the police have joined. Uh, this week, uh, I've read in the Yemen Times that the teacher syndicate... Uh and also the lawyer syndicate have planned Mm. um, rallies. And actually, there's a pretty high level of unionization, particularly in the south of Yemen, Uh uh, than people would expect. So we'll see if that picks up steam. I don't want to predict and jinx anything, but we'll see what happens if they get some momentum.
0: How about the NGOs? Would they be participating, or are they afraid to participate if if they are funded by a foreign company? Are they... Foreign, yeah, they are foreign. Last time we talked about a lot that.
1: of them are yeah. a lot of them are sort of do a uh, a mix between um, local and international, uh, and that is just a fascinating question. So one yeah. of the one of my research questions is going to be asking how do institutionalized mainstream NGOs in Yemen mm-hmm. deal with deal with the situation when this sort of popular uprising happens? Do they risk sacrificing their ties with the government? Do they risk joining the people? I mean. How do they respond and, and what ends up happening? And I have a feeling that it's too risky for them. Any NGO at this point, well, they not only have to worry about international donors, but more than that, they all have to be accredited and licensed by, I think, the Ministry of Culture or the Ministry mm. of Internal Affairs, one of the one of the bureaucracies of the state. Mm. And they risk losing that if they speak out too strongly or if they you know, align themselves with the enemy capital T capital. Yeah. So that could be difficult for them, and that could be one of the reasons why they're kind of keeping a low profile at this time.
0: I know in China last year, they were the government was uh, asking for records from NGOs and raiding uh, NGO headquarters uh, uh, offices in the country, especially if they took money from foreign uh, donors to try to to see where the money came from, I guess, or just to harass them. And yeah. so there was that kind of uh, crackdown.
1: Any mainstream. Me, uh, organization in, in Yemen of any kind i think risks mm. the same thing so over the past 2 years you've seen uh, media offices ch- being closed journalists being arrested so at any point you know you can you can sort of be shut down and and i'm sure it's it's a it's an actual real threat for them so the way that they sort of negotiate that is is interesting and also very constraining for them
0: how about the the coverage in the 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 content of the coverage what what do you think of that i know the new York Times had a coverage had a story yesterday on on Yemen uh how did you see that or do you see other mainstream uh, media coverage
1: we have been both. Annoyed and surprised by how the same media outlets can do such a terrible job at covering Yemen and then such a great job. Like, for example, the Washington Post basically implied that the Yemeni protests weren't going to succeed because everybody was too busy chewing God or basically essentially (laughs) calling them like lazy Um, and unmotivated Um, but then today they did a fantastic uh, profile on um, Tawakul Carmen, who's Hmm. the female leader I mentioned of the protest so it it really varies a lot the one thing that's disturbing that I see on Al Jazeera I see it I see it on all these media outlets that I really actually like and admire is this idea that well people are troubled because of Saleh Falls Al, you know, there's this Al-Qaeda issue And Al-Qaeda will rise up and sort of take over I mean, it's imp- a lot of times it's implied It's more nuanced than that But there's definitely this anxiety And people have totally bought this load of baloney That if something happens to Saleh Al-Qaeda is suddenly going to rise up As, you know, the big boogeyman And and take over And, th- and that's just not true As we talked about last week um, The president has done more to s- Oh, yeah to destabilize the country and to give al-Qaeda a reason to flourish than it has to um, to to really work against uh, the reasons that al-Qaeda are there. So that's a really big problem, and that's a disturbing trend that I see in the media.
0: That's great. Uh, thank you, um, uh, Dana Moss. Well, thank
1: you for having me back. I really yeah. appreciate it.
0: Yeah, so we were talking about Yemen, and now we're going to go uh, to give a historical context uh, to the situation uh, with us on the phone is usama uh, Makdisi, who 's a history professor Arab studies professor at Rice University. Welcome to the show
2: thank you it 's good to be on
0: great. Uh, we uh, just had a little update on the Yemen situation and uh, what do you think of this uh, in in view of your new book? Uh, uh which is covering the history of us uh, arab relations faith misplaced the broken farm promise of us arab relations 1820 to 2001 uh are there parallels in history to this situation uh,
2: in terms of the history you mean yeah uh, in terms of the history uh, there're there are certainly parallels in terms of the the quest on the part of many people in in the region, in the Middle East, in the Arab world specifically, for self determination. Right. Yeah, of course there are parallels. I mean, but mostly these were directed these efforts at self determination and democracy were directed at colonial powers against the British and the French, um, and then more more recently against the the, the Zionist uh, or the Zionist movement in in Palestine, or at the same time the Zionist movement in Palestine. But um, um, uh, and, and so in that sense, yes, there have been parallels. But uh, in this kind of mobilization that we've seen in Egypt and in Tunisia, and now spreading across the Arab world, this kind of popular uh, mass demonstrations not led by the army, th- these are really new events in, in this sense.
0: But they're nationalist uh, uprisings, right? Would you call them nationalist uprisings? Yeah, of course.
2: They're, absolutely, yeah. they're, they're, they're nationalist uprisings. These, these are and just basically uprisings for dignity, for democracy, for human rights. Um, for a better future. Yeah,
0: uh, yeah. I was struck by the by your analysis of U.S. Uh, presidents and how uh, some of the people uh, thought that the past U.S. presidents were just giving lip service to democracy and didn't live up to this promise. Uh, so, could, would you analyze and and you, your book actually um, brings it up to when Obama was in Cairo, and do you think that? Uh, you know, people just didn't think of Obama as really giving support to these uh, moves for self-determination. Really, right?
2: Yeah, well, I, and I don't think Obama has, in this instance. I, right. mean, I think, yeah. in other words, I think Obama, President Obama, has been reacting to events, and I think it's a misconception for anyone to assume that the United States was behind these these mass protests in Egypt and in Tunisia. Before Egypt, I think the United States has been reacting to events, and I think what what Obama. Uh, has done uh, what, what Obama may personally have felt, I don't know, but but the yeah. U.S. administration and U.S. officials were of two minds. On the one hand, it's very clear in their reaction. On the one hand, they 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 came out uh, initially very much in favor of stability, and they've they've always been in favor of what they call stability. In other words, uh, autocracies in the Middle East that have preserved uh, uh, U.S. interests, um, so to speak. And on the other hand, they were confronted with, with the fact that you had millions of people in, in Tunisia and in Egypt who were demonstrating, in a, in, in an, essentially in a, in a peaceful way, in a, in a very democratic manner, um, for human rights, for democracy, and in a manner that the United States government could not openly oppose. And so the U.S. Uh, reacted to events, and eventually it was faced with a fait accompli. And, and at least it didn't stand in the way. Of mass protests, and it eventually resigned itself to having Mubarak removed from power.
0: How about when they sent um, the ambassador, former ambassador Wisner uh, to was he ambassador before he, they sent him to uh, Cairo to mediate? And, to mediate, and he was actually tied in to Mubarak, right?
2: Um, he has I mean, close ties. The news reports indicate that yeah. yeah, that that he had uh, that his mm-hmm. uh, I think it's his uh, uh, PR firm, if I'm not mistaken, or law firm. Also, yeah. That law firm that was involved in, in with Mubarak's regime. But again, I mean, I think it's, it's better not to focus on, on the individual, but rather to see, the, I think, the bigger picture, which is to say that the U.S. has put in place, uh, quite tragically, from my perspective, over several decades, a policy toward the Arab world, which on the one hand has been to support dictatorships um, who cater to U.S. interests, in other words, guarantee a pro-American, pro-Western petroleum order, um, and on the other hand, uh, the United States has also supported Israel um, and Israeli expansionism, despite the fact that both these policies, the support for Arab dictatorships on the one hand, the support for Israel on the other, have, have come at the cost of Arab self-determination. And as a result, I think the U.S. is now confronting a situation in the Arab world where it will have to, inevitably it seems to me, uh, adopt confront develop a a new policy that takes into account seriously uh, what arabs think uh, and what they what they their aspirations in a manner that they never have up until this point
0: you you looked a lot at uh, the history of missionaries in the middle east and in in another book and also in this book uh, at the beginning and uh, did you find that at the beginning there was actually Some hope, I guess, for better relations with the U.S.
2: Well, in the sense that, in the sense that those, you know, there there are proponents of a so-called clash of civilizations who who consistently and continuously mislead the American public and try to pretend that there's always been a clash between the Muslim world and the United States or the West. And and the fact of the matter is that any serious analysis of uh, American involvement with the Arab world which will eventually, will inevitably take us back to the missionaries, the American missionaries in the early 19th century and the, and the mid and late 19th century, uh, we'll, we'll find out very quickly that in fact there was no dislike of the United States, uh, certainly no cultural dislike of the United States that was general. There was no uh, animosity to uh, the United States in the manner that we have seen more recently. And in fact there was, if anything, a kind of respect for Uh, modernity for Western modernity, especially for America, because of of the fact that missionaries built institutions of higher education, universities, in other words. Missionaries were at the forefront of educational efforts in the Ottoman Empire. Um, uh, Many thousands of Arabs emigrated to the United States, and the United States was associated with this idea of self-determination through Wilson's 14 points. Woodrow Wilson's 14 points. So, yeah, there was a lot of admiration for, on the part of individuals for the United States, and there was precious little animosity.
0: So at that time, uh, you, you point out in your book that in 1910, I guess, or Teddy, was it Teddy Roosevelt uh, gave a speech in Cairo that uh, were led to protests, uh, that uh, the protesters said you didn't live up to uh, Wilson's uh, commitment to self-determination.
2: Well, that's that's before Wilson's commitment to self-determination. Oh, it's before, yeah. But, but the idea, Wilson, yeah. but the idea, yeah. But the idea is the same. In other words, Teddy, Teddy Roosevelt went over and was basically. Um, uh, this is in the midst of the or, of of an Egyptian nationalist movement that was trying to get rid of British control over Egypt. The the, the British had occupied Egypt in 1882, and um, and rather than take the side of the nationalists, Teddy Roosevelt uh, basically, in a very patronizing, racist manner, told them to be patient and to to uh, to not be uh, impulsive and um, and he was very patronizing. So there were a lot of protests against what people in Egypt understandably and correctly saw as a patronizing racist attitude on the part of Teddy Roosevelt um, and his support for the British colonial um, occupation of of um, of Egypt. But uh, later on in in during the First world War, there was tremendous sympathy. Uh, across the Arab world, and not just in the Arab world, incidentally, in in India, in China, in many parts of the world, for the idea of self-determination. The problem, of course, is, and and, in faith misplaced in my book, I I point this out, uh, the problem was that in the Arab world, as in in fact many other parts of the world, the Americans and the British and the French never intended to actually implement self-determination in any serious manner. It was more rhetoric than actual policy.
0: They just wanted to let the Western powers carve up the area.
2: Well, I mean, uh, not so much Wilson. The British and the French were, certainly in World War One. after World War One, were intent on carving up the Middle East into various yeah, yeah. Uh, spheres of imp colonies, which they called mandates. And Wilson essentially basically betrayed his own principles at this moment. I mean, he had enunciated the idea that there should not be secret treaties and there should not be old-style colonialism. And then, very quickly, after World War One, with his own health issues, and U.S. domestic politics, he basically turned, uh, you know, he turned away from the Middle East. He wasn't that interested in the Middle East, uh, nor was he very interested or sympathetic to Arab nationalist claims. And so, the United States basically acquiesced to the British and French colonial partition of the of the Middle East, and it acquiesced to the Zionist uh, the beginnings of the Zionist colonization of Palestine.
0: The Balfour Declaration, or is that Correct. later? Right,
2: yeah, Declar- yeah. and after the Balfour Declaration, yeah, after, so the yeah. actual mandate in Palestine.
0: So um, you mentioned the role of the missionaries in setting up uh, institutes, institutions, universities there. W- were they instrumental in setting up the American university in Cairo and in, um, in uh, Damascus? And,
2: in, in, Beirut. Uh, in Beirut. In Beirut, sorry. Yeah. In Beirut, Beirut which sorry. Was first called the Syrian Protestant College. Yes, that was founded in 1866. And then they were also instrumental in, in establishing uh, universities and colleges and high schools in uh, in what is today Turkey, in Istanbul, across Anatolia. And they were also uh, a different mission. American mission was was responsible for establishing the American university in Cairo in 1920. So the, the Americans had a huge impact, uh, educationally speaking, which is why they were they were seen favorably, by by many of the most educated uh, uh, individuals in in the uh, in the Ottoman Empire and then in the Arab world.
0: Yeah, I'm interested in the role these universities played in the re- in the recent uh, revolts, uh, The revolt in say in Egypt w- was I know that a um, lot of the students and the faculty also participated in uh, Freedom Square in uh, Cairo. So w- right. what what role do you think these university students or former students uh, or faculty played in that
2: that's a very good question and I don't, I don't i don't actually have an answer i mean i know that students played a, a significant role but not just from the american university in cairo i'm sure they were right. from all, all egyptian universities and because it wasn't just um the, um, the american university in cairo students protesting it was sure. students from across the the spectrum in egypt and, and not just in cairo this was nationwide that there were mass protests and it wasn't just students of course, it was students uh, uh, youth labor unions all, all sorts of groups that were involved in this tr- truly genuinely massive popular uprising that, that that in a sense doesn't really have um, that that's really a, a tremendous breath of fresh air in in the in contemporary Arab politics it's a true revolution and a positive change
0: did you expect it
2: no oh. I, I, mean, I expected it in the sense that I I, I, I knew and like many Arabs uh, knew and hoped that uh, we certainly knew that that the Western representations of a dead Arab world or a dying Arab world or a, a moribund Arab world were were entirely inaccurate in the sense that they that they they missed what what has been clear from throughout the 20th century, is which is that the Arabs of, in all different countries, in Egypt, in Syria, in uh, in North Africa, in, in the Levant, in, in the Gulf, across. This region have always wanted a life with dignity and freedom. and um, but I don't think any of us, certainly not me speaking for myself, anticipated uh, either the revolution in, in Tunisia or the revolution in Egypt. I mean these are things which have been which were unanticipated, which is normally how revolutions occur in any case. I mean people don't usually expect revolutions and, and it's a, uh, it's certainly, in any case, a major positive change.
0: Are you surprised that the U.S. Uh, government didn't plan for this or pre-plan for this, I guess?
2: No, because yeah. the U.S. government was not leading these, has not been leading these protests, uh, and as I said, it has been reacting to these. Uh, if anything, as I said, the U.S. policy in the Middle East has been entirely negative in the sense that it's 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 been based on and dependent on, on the one hand, Arab dictatorships, uh, and you can just look at a map of the Middle East, or your listeners can, can, can open up, You know, any Google map and see virtually every Middle Eastern dictatorship today, uh, with the exception of Syria and Sudan, is backed by the United States uh, or has been backed by the United States. And Mubarak, of course, had been at the very forefront of these dictatorships that were were backed very, very strongly by the U.S., not just by the U.S., by Western governments as well. Um, And so the U.S. has has put its eggs in that basket, as well as in the Israel basket. And Israel, of course, was founded at the expense of the Palestinians. So, again, another denial of of Arab self-determination going all the way back to 1947, 1948. And if we go back to the Balfour Declaration, 1917, which, of course, was British. Um, And so, in in that sense, the U.S. policy has been entirely opposed to self-determination, which has been quite tragic and uh, with terrible consequences, for the Arabs first and foremost, but also for other people.
0: And the U.S. also has been playing this uh, war on terror card, right? And Mubarak has been also uh, saying that he had to do this, you know, crackdown because of the Muslim Brotherhood. So, uh,
2: yeah. And this is the, the, the great, uh, and there's two ways to answer that question. On, on the one yeah. hand, Mubarak, you know, is playing the, the classic card where he, he said his basic line was, if not me, then the, then the Muslim extremists without acknowledging the fact that in the end, if you have dictatorship and you repress people and you, you destroy all civil society and you crush and you torture, which is what Mubarak's regime was, was so good at doing, torturing people, if you do all this, uh, then of course you promote extremism. You don't actually combat it, except in the very short term. And so it was. Uh, this was Mubarak's uh, basic lie, the lie of the regime. And, and we can see that in Egypt, eventually people said enough is enough. They want... Freedom. They want dignity, and they refuse this false dichotomy of either having Mubarak and dictatorship, or, or Islamic extremism. It's not that. That was not the choice. That's never been the choice. That's been the choice that Mubarak said uh, was the choice, and then that was a uh, basically a lie. And the U.S. and you can see in the hysteria in the U.S. media and in government circles about what's going to happen in Egypt if Mubarak falls. This was right. the first initial U.S. reaction: Is it going to become an Islamic state, la Iran? Uh-huh. Of course, that's a complete misreading of the situation in the Arab world, where, as I said, people, whether they're muslim or or Christian, uh, for that matter, don't are not in, interested in, in extremist governments. They want basic human freedoms, basic dignity, a basic uh, education, basic uh, you know a better future. And that's not a question of Islamic extremism or anything else.
0: How did uh, Egypt stay so poor? Uh, compared with some other gulf states uh, for instance some other states well
2: egypt doesn't have the natural resources of the gulf oh. states i mean and at least the the major gulf states that we're thinking of here I, I assume you mean you mean saudi arabia yeah, or yeah. qatar or yeah. or or the, the uae who have which have um, you know tiny populations and, and huge natural resources egypt has a huge population um 84 83 to 84 million and and it and it and tremendous poverty, uh, and it also has you know notorious corruption under Mubarak's regime, um, as well as uh, an oversized army that up until now has not done, you know, frankly, um, an army and, and an elite around Mubarak that have benefited from his regime for for decades. And so the interesting thing now in Egypt is now that now that Mubarak has been deposed, the question is how how fundamental will the change in Egypt actually be? It's already a huge step that Mubarak has been removed, and we shouldn't underestimate the importance of just the fact that this man who was in power for 30 years has been removed not by the army and not by the United States and not by military officers, but by the power of people in the streets. That fact alone is a huge you know, contribution and a huge step forward, but the question, it seems to me, is to what extent will there actually be systemic in Egypt, uh, which has huge, um, you know, economic challenges.
0: Because the army controls a lot of the, you know, industry there, right? Um, I mean, uh, army officers and... Army
2: officers, and yeah. uh, not not just army officers, I mean, there, there was an entire sort of elite around Mubarak who right, benefited right. from this, so uh, from monopolies and, and, and such... So that we'll see. I mean, this is where, where the future, is, where the, pre- the where we're living now, what we're living, seeing, witnessing now in Egypt, is so so interesting and, and potentially positive, but we, we have to wait and see how things develop there.
0: Because it's hard to imagine why they would give up power voluntarily. if well, nobody they have, gives up power nobody voluntarily, does. but the yeah. whole point of what's right. happening is that if they're forced yeah,
2: Mubarak, Mubarak was forced to give up, and right. the army was forced to, in, in a situation where it felt its hand was forced by these mass protests, and so, uh, you know, it's certainly better than it was yesterday. The question is, will it be? How much? How much of an improvement is there going to be? And that's where we have to just wait and see.
0: How about the because foreign? Yeah, yeah. Wait and see. How about the foreign aid? Um, was mo- uh, most of the U.S. aid was to the military, right?
2: Correct. And, and, yeah. and in any case, the, the U.S. aid is, is basically, essentially, it's, it's basically blackmail money to Egypt that, 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 that Egypt got as a result of signing the Camp David Accords of uh-huh. 1979. The, the peace treaty of nineteen, the Camp David Accords of seventy eight, and the peace treaty of nineteen seventy nine. Um, blackmail is probably too strong a word, but but um, basically, bribe money that they got as a result because they they, they fell into the U S. camp, and it's essentially military aid in which uh, the Egyptians buy from U S. Uh, manufacturers, and so uh, that aid, I, I presume, will continue um,
0: by weapons after. and stuff, right?
2: Essentially, uh,
0: yeah. yeah. Well, Was none of that money going to development aid?
2: I'm sure there there must be some, but the, yeah. the bulk of it was not for development aid as such, but it was yeah. military aid. As far as I understand, I could be wrong. But
0: that's right. Yeah, I think there are other, other foreign countries that gave aid, but of course, with the corruption there, you never know where the money sure. went.
2: How much actually translates to actual real right. aid to people.
0: Do you think there are strong civil society elements in each of these countries that are now... Um, feeling the ripples from Tunisia and Egypt or do you think that um, I mean so that there will be uh, alternatives to the autocracy or is
2: well there, it, yeah there is alternative and we can see there's alternative I mean in Tunisia in Egypt you already see that there is alternative to autocracy um, but the, and and you see this you see this through the protests that are taking place in in Libya in Yemen and in, in Syria and other parts of, of, of the Arab world I mean there certainly has to be Alternative to autocracy, the, the the problem that we always come back to when it comes to the Middle East is that the Arab-Israeli conflict is unresolved, uh-huh. and and the U.S. position in this Arab-Israeli conflict has been incredibly negative over the over the past few decades. And in fact, um, uh, in the sense that the U.S. peace process has been based on uh, and has has assumed as an essential uh, part. Of its, its 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 logic has assumed that Arab popular will and Arab democratic aspirations are entirely negligible, and so if you think about it, all the peace treaties, the two peace treaties, in fact, Egypt first in 1979 and then Jordan in 1994, are both both based on Arab autocrats Anwar Sadat in Egypt, King Hussein of Jordan, delivering their countries into a an Israeli centric U.S. vision of a resolution to the Arab-Israeli conflict. In other words, uh, both peace treaties with Israel do not and did not and have not stopped the Israelis from their inexorable colonial expansion into the West Bank, into East Jerusalem. And so it's it's been a flawed peace from the very beginning because it only takes into account Israeli domestic concerns, Israeli uh, security concerns, Israeli internal politics, and it assumes that the Arabs have no popular politics, have no will, have nothing essential on their side.
0: Uh, President Carter was on campus at UC Irvine a few years ago touting his book. Uh, Which one? The Yeah, <laughs> the one about the peace plan and all the, you know, the points and whatever, you know, how many points, plan, whatever they call it. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. But, uh, yeah. yeah, so... You, do you, th- I mean, what, what's your critique of that, um, that
2: plan? I have not read Carter's. It depends on which book we're talking about. Yeah. If it's, uh, the, uh, uh, you, don't, you don't mean the apartheid book? No. Uh, no, there's a newer book. Yeah, I, I haven't read a new book, but I mean, you know, um, Carter, I think Jimmy Carter is, uh, you know, a, a man who, who I think understands. You can certainly see this in his writings. He understands now yeah. more, more than he ever did. Or at least that he was ever allowed to express when he was president. He understands that that there has to be a resolution to the Palestinian aspect, the component of sure. the Arab-Israeli conflict, yeah. and that these are, these are all related. You can't resolve the Arab-Israeli conflict and deny Palestinian rights, which is what the American peace process has been all been about. It's about ignoring fundamental Palestinian rights, hoping that they'll go away in the way that the Americans treated Native Americans, in the way American Indians were treated, for example. You just hope that the natives will eventually go away and, or they'll be put into, mm. uh, into reservations or whatever. That, that, that's, mm-hmm. that's not a feasible approach. Uh, that's been the Israeli approach to peace, but that's not a real approach to peace. And I think, um, ultimately, a, a real peace plan has to deal with the equality of Palestinians, Israelis, Muslims, Christians, and Jews. They all have to have equal rights. And I think Jimmy Carter understands that now, um, but, of course, he's not in power.
0: Yeah, yeah. How about this whole controversy recently with the uh, uh, Palestinian negotiators uh, quitting, negotiator chief negotiator quitting, and the um, you know, because of the leaked documents from what? Yeah, yeah wh- well, What, what do mean, you think uh, of
2: that? Again, yeah, yeah. That's um, again, you're, you're referring to Saeb Erekat. Yeah. and again, it's 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 a it's a tragic aspect of how how lost, how defeated, how how pathetic uh, re- in a real sense. Uh, the Sa'ir Arakat and the Palestinian Authority that he represents have become. I mean, they've lost any sense of of uh, of their own uh, um, liberation, and and all they are negotiating for are the crumbs that the Israelis are willing to give them. And you can see in the in the Palestine papers that have revealed beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Israelis have no interest. Uh, I'm talking about official Israel now. Uh, the Israeli government and have no interest in any meaningful real peace with Palestinians that is based on equal rights. None. I mean, the Israelis are intent on colonizing what they want of the West Bank, of expanding their colonization of East Jerusalem. That's what they want. And they are not interested in any kind of serious peace deal with the Palestinians. They're willing to give Palestinians self-rule in various parts, enclaves in the West Bank, um, they're willing to do that, and they're willing to negotiate and to humor and cater to a, a tiny group of Palestinians, uh, essentially in Ramallah, uh, like Arekat, you know, and lead them on in these endless negotiations. But um, there, there's nothing serious going on at that level.
0: Oh, what do you think uh, Edward Said would have said about uh, developments this week?
2: I think he would have been proud. I think, like like the vast majority of, of people who know about the Arab world, who care about the Arab world, who understand the Arab world in a, in a non-racist, non-orientalist manner, I think he would have been proud. Proud to, to, to witness. I mean, it's, it's a tragedy of course, he to not witness this moment, yeah. but he would have been proud to have witnessed. I think this kind of this this genuine revolution, and and like everyone else who's 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 watching and witnessing the Arab world, he would he would hope that this revolution spreads takes root, real root, in Egypt and spreads to the rest of the Arab world.
0: You know, all Israel and U.S. are concerned about is whether those uh, peace accords are going to be kept, I suppose, huh?
2: Yeah, which is the, which again is, is, I think, to me, is the greatest indictment of the so-called peace process, which has never been about giving real rights and, and about equality between Muslim, Christian, and Jew, but about essentially forcing the Arab world to accept Israel not, uh, not, not a not not a secular Israel or a democratic Israel, but an Israel which is bent on expanding into the West Bank and East Jerusalem. And so the Arab the Arab states have come out time and again with, with you know since 2002 officially with the Arab peace plan. And the Israelis have never given any kind of real peace plan that that's serious about uh, returning the West Bank um, and East Jerusalem to the Palestinians.
0: So you think there's hope now that it will change with uh, Egypt? asserting itself Over time. more independently I mean, these are, not, these yeah. are not
2: immediate processes I mean the right. Egyptians now are focused understandably and obviously yeah. primarily on themselves on Egypt um, but inevitably as the revolution takes root in Egypt if the revolution takes root in Egypt yeah. one hopes that it will inevitably I think if you take Arab, if Arab opinion expresses itself democratically you will see that the vast majority of Arabs have never been content and have never reconciled themselves to, to, to uh, the, the, the colonization of Palestine and the expulsion of the Palestinians and the injustice of what Israel has always represented to the Arab world and for Arabs. Um, and so inevitably that will change. I mean, you will not have, you will not have an, an Egypt that has been so complicit in, for example, the, the, the astonishingly inhumane siege of Gaza. Egypt has been complicit in this, Egyptian yeah. government, I mean. So th- things like that will change, I think. But that, again, depends on what actually transpires on the ground in Egypt and, and to what extent there is a, a real systemic revolution in Egypt, as opposed to just removing the figurehead, Mubarak.
0: Will the border open up then?
2: It depends. I mean, yeah. I, it's really hard to predict what's going to happen in the yeah. future. But I think the kind of, of inhumane um, politics that the U.S. and Israel and Egypt have overseen vis-a-vis Gaza and the Palestinian Authority, for its part, have overseen, uh, in other words, punishing an entire population of Palestinians who are crammed in this in this, in this tiny area of, of the Gaza Strip, uh, strip, yeah. and and locked away. Th- this kind of, of, of inhumane policy, I hope, will change.
0: Yeah, you uh, did. You grow up in the area, or did you grow up here?
2: I uh, grew up yes, in Beirut, not in yeah.
0: Beirut. And um, what uh, from an early la- age did you want to go into academia?
2: <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't know how early I wanted uh-huh. to go into academia but but I certainly knew by college that, that I wanted to become a professor of history
0: and is it, um, I mean it's an exciting time right to be focusing on Arab studies now I mean it seems yeah, more, yeah. more well, people are you
2: know, f- now, now for the right reasons as opposed to the wrong reasons <laughs> so yeah. th- that's certainly a, a positive change yeah for sure
0: because the student I had on, a uh, graduate student in sociology, is taking Arabic here and had lived in Yemen. Uh, and both he, uh, she and uh, the other person who was on, Will Picard, uh, they both uh, co-founded this Yemen Peace Project. So there's a new generation, it seems to me, of uh, students who are w- uh, willing to uh, study the language and also delve into the history of, of, the, of the region.
2: That's good. That's very important. I mean, I think the more we humanize uh, and understand uh, the Arab world, I think the better U.S. Arab relations will be, inevitably.
0: And do you think U.S. is now going to lose its kind of dominance or domination over the region?
2: I I think the in terms of because of Egypt, you mean? Yeah, yeah. I I think it's it's, it's too early to tell what's going to happen. You know, in terms of the, the, the. the the grand geopolitical picture of of the Middle East, but I think the United States has been losing its dominance, uh, or at least right. its, 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 its dominance ever since the Iraq War. I mean, which has which uh, I think was a catastrophic setback for for the United States in terms of the the violence of that war, the the the, the mayhem that was unleashed on Iraq, and it's still that you still see in Iraq what's going on today. There's still car bombs throughout Iraq. Sure. In this kind of, and, and the bloodshed of the war and the deaths and the, of so many Iraqis um, and, and the expulsions and the sectarian violence, that was already a, 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 a and of course the war waged under false pretenses. Uh, all, all these things uh, have had a terrible effect on, on the United States' reputation as well as the financial and the economic well-being of the United States itself given how, how expensive these wars are. Um, and then, of course, you have the U.S. support for Israel this endless bias towards Israel, which which also saps from, you know, any credibility on the part of the U.S. So I think, uh, and the fact that resistance to Israel has not weakened, in fact, it's still there. You see it throughout the Arab world. Uh, and the loss in the 2006 war, when Israel lost the 2006 war with Hezbollah, I think all these have a negative effect on, on the U.S. standing.
0: I know a lot of these. Uh, this reaction in the U.S. stems from 9/11, but it seems to me that um, 9/11 would not have happened if U.S. had a better foreign policy towards um, the region. Don't you think?
2: The, yeah, well, I think it's 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 certainly. I think it's certainly true to say that that um, had the U.S. had it from the from the outset, from the 1940s and 50s, had the U.S. not made this, I think terrible decision to basically support on the one hand the most reactionary aspects of the Arab world and to support Zionist colonization of, of Palestine had the u.s not ended up supporting these things and becoming especially after 1967 becoming the prime supporter of uh, of uh, um, of Israel military uh, and economic supporter of and political patron of Israel after 1967. Had the U.S. not done that and had the Arab world itself, because it's not just the U.S., I mean, 9-11 is not just a reaction to U.S. policies. Had the Arab world itself had a healthier political culture, um, but the combination of this sort of Western colonization of the Arab world and uh, Arab autocracy and extremist elements that I think are available in every society, well, sure. this combination is what led to this catastrophic uh, phenomenon. So, um so are you an,
0: Yeah, Are you an optimist. You you believe people can work things out.
2: Not uh, countries can. You know, not not, under <laughs> cir- no, not not in a naive way. I don't think yeah, yeah. I think I th- I certainly think that that uh, there is no such thing as a class of civil- civilizations. That that I'm yeah. 100% certain of. I think of course there are people who believe in it unfortunately and that belief is extremely damaging like like any kind of bigoted racist ignorant belief. I mean, you know, belief itself is not something that That is always rational, um, but I certainly believe that uh, the United States uh, and American people in general and Arab people have a lot more in common than they than 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 they have differences
0: because uh part of the the belief in the clash of civilizations is that uh, people think that uh, Arab countries are all Muslim right they don't realize there are all sorts of people in there, all sorts of religions
2: correct. They don't, and they also think that all Muslims are the same, and that Islam is one thing, and that, uh, in other words, it, 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 it enjoys or, or commands one kind of belief, and that it's more prone to fanaticism than than any other religion. And they, they, all sorts of things are are said about Arabs and Muslims, which are entirely inaccurate.
0: I do want to ask you what's been happening on campus. Uh, you may have heard that. The uh, DA uh, recently uh, impaneled a grand jury to investigate the Muslim Students Union on campus, and then um, a few days later, a few weeks later, uh, charged the students who had protested Ambassador Orin, the Israeli ambassador, who had spoken at UCI. Uh, charged them with conspiracy, uh, misdemeanor, actually, uh, paneled a grand jury to f- find out if he should charge them, and then he did charge them with the misdemeanor for protesting. Uh, uh, and he raised the specter of anarchy in Orange County if he hadn't done this. Uh, so th- this seems to be a stepping up of the uh, not just the rhetoric but also the uh, actual uh, crackdown uh, by the state on student protests. And have you seen that kind of reaction in other on other campuses? Where,
2: I have not heard. I have, you know, I've heard about this, the case of, of the students at UCI, but I have not heard of this anywhere else. Um, that, that I'm aware of, um, but, you know, I, I hope and I trust that this will be, uh, you know, appealed or, or that, that, that this, will be, this will be contested at least. I mean, this obviously has, it hasn't yeah. gone yet to trial, has it? Or they're going uh, out to
0: trial? They're going uh, in a few weeks, uh, trial will start, but a hundred faculty did sign a statement protesting the yeah. the charges, yeah.
2: I mean, it's outrageous. That Basically, these the, the, the protests happen all the time. Right. on campuses, and the idea of a campus is that it should be a place, and it has to be a place, where, where protests from all sides, I mean, where, where freedom of speech and, and academic freedom is, is cherished, and that you can have debates, and sometimes, yes, students do sometimes. I mean, I, I was at Wesleyan as an undergraduate, and I know that oh, yeah. students certainly can can can, um, can be exuberant in their protest, but the idea of, of charging them uh, with a crime just... Absurd, and this is obviously a tactic of intimidation.
0: Yeah, only in Orange County, maybe.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, unfortunately. I, 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 yeah. I hope it doesn't spread anywhere else.
0: Yeah, I hope it doesn't. Yeah, and they have good lawyers, I mean, from the Lawyers Guild, National Lawyers Guild, so hopefully they'll be able to fight this successfully. Uh, so, Andre, thank you very much uh, uh, for being on the show, Usama uh, Makdisi. The author of this new book uh, called Misplaced uh, or Faith Misplaced. I just want to ask you, faith, do you mean a religious faith or a faith in democracy or what faith?
2: Um, all uh-huh. sorts of your faiths. I mean, uh-huh. it's, it's both basically the American faith, the early American missionary faith, uh-huh. they could actually convert everyone, but also the faith that, that Arabs had in the West, uh, also the, 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 the faith in modernity, all sorts of different faiths. The faith that extremists have in the religion, all these faiths are misplaced, it seems to me.
0: Yeah, this fascinating book um, analysis of U.S. relations with Arab countries uh, from uh, Public Affairs, uh, the publisher of Public Affairs. Thank you, McDissey, Mister Doctor Makdisi, uh, thank Makdisi. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> bye bye. Uh, keep in touch. Bye bye. Bye bye. Uh, so that was um, Professor Makdisi from Rice University. Um, a professor of Arab studies, uh, historian at Rice University. And earlier we had Dana Moss, who is with the Yemen Peace Project, updating us on events this week uh, as protesters took to the street to ask for a regime change in Yemen after the tumultuous events in Egypt last week. And so this is Dan Sang signing off for Subversity here, and we'll be listening to uh, some music from Yemen. Uh, as we close out this uh, hour uh, as we have covered the um, Middle East here and we'll be playing you some music from Yemen.